Hi, we're Katie, Jessica, and Shannon, and this is Boy Problems Podcast, a community focused on supporting families navigating substance use disorder. We hope sharing our stories, introducing you to experts, and answering all the questions you have no one else to ask will help you better navigate your story. Through our partners' recoveries, we found each other and formed our own squad, one we know is so valuable to how we manage this disease in our relationships. So we started bringing a microphone to our hangouts to extend our conversations to others just like us. When you're here, you're not alone. If you're listening, you probably know we met at a family support group and our bonds have grown stronger through sharing our stories and supporting each other. When we think about the thing that's helped us most, it's that. So we'd like to extend that community to you. If you're feeling like no one understands what you're dealing with or you're looking for a community of like-minded individuals, consider joining us for our virtual support group. For details, visit recovering2.com. We know what you're going through, and we're here to help. We're recovering, too. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. We have an amazing guest today. We have been going back and forth for months now to try to find a time for her to come on when it worked and kind of all the stars align. So we are very excited to welcome Angela Zweifel from Our Story, Their Addiction with us today. Welcome. Welcome. Hey, Hey, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, wonderful. So we, when we started our podcast, we started to, um, follow and connect people on, um, you know, Instagram, like all the different social things. And so obviously addiction is in your title. So you popped, you know, you popped up on our, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, on our searches. And so we started connecting and, you know, it's been wonderful to see you post. Um, you actually posted something. Oh man, was it last night or the night before just kind of like the hell that you went through? Mm-hmm. Um, and my story from Jessica and Shannon is different. Uh, I yes. feel like you and I like, um, connect on the, the craziness, like the, the crazy. wildness mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. um, And I was, I was reading that and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm like, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, you know, our topic today, uh, we are going to speak about infidelity, which unfortunately that's something that you had that I don't think that I have. Um, so yeah, I'm not asking questions if it happened. Like, I'm just, I told him like, don't freaking tell me because if you tell me I'm out, I don't want to know. I think that when we say ignorance is bliss there, there is a solid ground to that. Um, there maybe are things better left unsaid sometimes, and especially in relationships. I don't know about you ladies, but I had a grandmother who spit in vinegar. She was, and she always said, some secrets are meant to be kept. And maybe that's, maybe that's, there's some truth in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, let's go ahead and jump in. So tell us a little bit about like kind of how you started your relationship with your, cause it's an ex at this point. Yeah. So, so he's my ex-husband, um, at this point. So I was married and in a relationship with my ex for 12 years and we had my daughter, uh, in the first two years, I would tell you, I tell everybody in that time frame, you know, it was that real bliss. Like it was like magnetic. He was charismatic. I felt swept off my feet. He was so engaging and so funny. And I felt so loved. 
so loved, so connected. Um, it, it was like electric. It was nothing I'd ever felt before. So having a baby with him, I was like, this is it. This is my white picket fence. This is my house. He owned his business and was successful. And I owned a business and I was successful. And I sort of with him felt like this is the dream. Like we've arrived. And I, I would say, even though I denied it, the intuition and feelings of something's not right started coming up probably a year into the relationship, maybe a year and a half. Um, by two years, I'm pregnant. And that intuition and the weirdness that was happening, it really took a bizarre turn. And I just didn't want to believe it. So I believed the excuses and maybe the manipulation and lies. And, and I really didn't realize it at that point. I, I just was felt really loved and I sort of felt safe, but then I started feeling crazy. Like into my pregnancy, I kept hearing this like, oh, well, it's the hormones or, oh, you're crazy. But like the fourth time out in one night to get cigarettes, you're like, what? probably by the end of my pregnancy, he was sitting in a hot shower for like hours a day. He had a massive sinus infection. And because we were self-employed, we did not have health insurance. So, and also just we're clear, he never really signed HIPAA. And just because you're someone's wife, you're not necessarily privy to um, people's medical records. And he never invited me in to the appointments, which never dawned on me as weird till much later. Um, but it turns out they thought he had stage four cancer. My daughter is three months old and I'm in our local hospital, St. Francis, and I get a phone call from the OR and the doctor was screaming at me that they could have killed him and this could have wrecked this doctor's life. And I'm like, I, have, I don't know what's happening. Does he have cancer? And he says, no, he's a drug addict. And he has rotted out and blown out his face, all of his sinuses, back down the back of his throat, up to his, almost to his brain, he said. And he said, I could have killed him with the anesthesia because the opioids in his system don't mix with anesthesia. And he didn't believe me that I didn't know. Oh, and that was it. The whole world came shattering down when my, our baby girl was three months and I just dropped to my knees. And I remember the hallway going black and all of a sudden it, I felt like a Rolodex started spinning and all of a sudden things started clicking. Like those moments I thought I was crazy. And that guy who knocked on the door and, 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 and that missing money, like $6,000 missing money, like what, what, what? And I have never been a person ever. I was not even raised this way to not trust people and definitely not to go through their purses, their phones. That was just not ever who I was. And now all of a sudden I'm like, mm -hmm. and I'm like flipping through his phone and there it all was the drug dealers, the picking up of the drugs, the $600 a week habit, the booze, the, it, I couldn't breathe. I like couldn't breathe. I, I called my best friend and I'm like, you have to come to the hospital. And thank God he arrived. And I don't remember much after that. I just was like, I have to leave. I can't stay. You need to get him home. Like this is ambulatory surgery. He doesn't have cancer. I'm going to lose my shit. I am working 50 hours a week. I paid for the car. I paid for the cell phones. I paid for the gas. Like he had been unemployed at this point for a while. And I was just, I broke. I felt like I broke in half. It's like, 
bit shattered. So that was sort of early on and I didn't know a lot about addiction and what ensued after that was just me inserting my control and telling him what he was going to do so that we could go back to the white picket fence. I was, I was very naive. (laughs) So after that moment of just finding out and being blindsided and I can relate to the feeling of just like crumbling and being shocked. Yeah. How, how did your first conversation with him go? Like what were, when did, when did you have that interaction? And yeah, was that like, that's so funny that just as you're asking that question, I like that. It's like a movie playing in my head. Um, I had to work that day and, um, I came home from work that night and I had told my friend, please make sure he eats before the pain medicines where they will not be giving him any more. So when I got home and he was laying on the couch and when I tell you they scraped out his entire throat and all of his sinuses, they had to like, it was a really big surgery. He could have used pain meds and they were only going to give him prescription Tylenol. I, I remember he was laying on the couch and I sat on the coffee table and I looked him dead in the eye and I'm like, there are larger conversations that we're going to have later on. But right now I want you to know whatever pain meds that you have in this house, whatever drugs and booze that you have in this house, that will, that will be the last that you will ever do. And he just, he was crying. He was a little misty. There was a lot of denial and you've misunderstood. And I was like, I need you not to speak. Give me the car keys. Give me your cell phone. Um, a lot of control. I just felt like, I I just felt like I was like grasping at things. So that was that sort of initial coming in and bulldozing him. Um, and a few days later when he was started to feel a little better, um, and I had to watch him really excruciating pain for the next few days. And that was hard for me and him too. Um, but we did sit down and I wish the conversation went differently. I wish I had more information before I had that conversation. Um, but he was like, I've got this under control and I can cover that. I can do this on my own. I I don't really, I I can stop at any time. That was our first sort of conversation about it. Um, in retrospect to there, there was a lot of lies coming out at that point to about, oh, you're blowing it out of proportion. It's really not that much. And I don't really, I, you know, too. So that, that's sort of what that first conversation <laughs> looked like. Um, never said sorry. <laughs> never really owned up for anything on that first conversation. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, and just, you, you didn't have an inkling. So you got in this relationship, his mm-hmm. drug of choice. Um, so he snorted, um, opioids, um, Percocets, you know, that's, you know, that sort of thing. If he could get his hands on benzos, which, um, more downers type of thing, or he would, um, I don't know if he would necessarily snort those. He might've just taken those and then booze. Um, yeah, yeah. And so as we sort of went for his sobriety and I say, we went for his sobriety because it was my mission to fix him. I don't know if you all had that experience or not. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I, I hate to laugh. That's so bad. I, I think I'm more laugh out of being uncomfortable, not necessarily because it's it's funny because it's not. Um, 
we got him on Suboxone. He convinced me that Suboxone was, I always say that wrong too, the way to go. And I won't ever say what anybody else should do in their journey. I will say in our journey, that was not a solution. It was merely a crutch for him to continue to use. Mm. Um, so he chose to overuse the prescription. He was on it for more than five years, which after reading a lot of research about it, that's not necessarily what they want you to do with it. And again, not a medical doctor here, not everybody gets to do what they need to do. He misused it and he drank while he was using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then he wasn't taking the antidepressants that were prescribed like Alexapro. He wasn't doing the work. He wasn't, he was just taking the Suboxone and telling me, well, it's not drugs. Mm-hmm. It's not drugs. I'm like, oh, still an $800 a month prescription. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> did you know much about recovery or had that concept come in or were you just really focused on, I want him to be sober? Mm-hmm. I was just focused on, I want him to be sober. I felt like the conversations he was having with me at the time too were very anti-recovery, even for him. And not knowing any of that and, and really not having what I felt like the space or the room as a brand new mom, first time new mom, owning a business, supporting all three of us because he was unemployed at this point. I didn't really take any time to step back and really say like, huh, I should Google search something. I think I just felt like I was hanging on by my fingernails and any second it was all going to just fall apart if I didn't keep pounding and keep us controlled and keep us scheduled and keep us distracted and busy. So Tell me what your family knew. I'm always interested in the support that you oh, received. Oh, yeah. If yeah. If any. Yeah. So that's fascinating. I, I don't know. I, I guess from working with women, I feel like there's sort of two schools. There are folks who are really connecting with their family and then like talking to them about it. And then there's people whose families are completely blindsided and some really, really huge event happened. And I was in the blindsided arena. Um I, I adore my parents. They're so supportive. They're wonderful people. Um, they, I really w- would be nowhere without them, um, especially through all of this. I had some friends who were like, hey, something's not right. And I was like, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's don't, that's, I just was so devastated and I was so embarrassed. Yeah. Um, I, the, the shame, uh, my personal failure that I took on, um, it, it like it gives me even goosebumps now it was so big I think I just couldn't even talk about it if someone were even there to listen and, and people were asking people were asking I just couldn't do it mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. there yet <laughs> yeah definitely relate to that so yeah. then how were you coping during this time um I did um time tell yeah classic distraction, 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 keep yourself so busy that, um, you don't have to deal. And that I learned from my youth. I learned it from my parents. And I mean that in a loving way. They, my parents are really dynamic and they're very, they're helpful and they're brilliant and they're smart. And, uh, but I learned from them 
not to necessarily deal. I didn't get a lot in my toolbox growing up with them. Um, and they did an amazing job. And I just did what I grew up knowing how to do, push through, put on a happy face and find a way to make it seem like we were successful on the outside. Mm -hmm. Keep it pretty on the outside. (laughs) So, yeah. And I think, I think that's probably most of us. And you know, it is such a bummer to hear you like the first two words of like, what did you feel like shame and embarrassment? Like that is just such a bummer. Mm -hmm. I hate Mm -hmm. every second of that. You know, I felt, yeah, I felt all of the exact same things. Um, kind of grew up kind of in the same family, you know, Mm -hmm. make it look good. You know, I didn't tell my family for I think seven, eight months after we kind of figured out after I figured out what was going on. And so, um, I'm kind of think that this is going to be a rough conversation for me. Like you are bringing up things that are, well, no, it's great. Your inside yuppies are happening, right? Yeah. 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 So it's, um, it's a very, I'm, I'm glad we connect, like all of the stars are aligning for sure. All the stars (laughs) aligning. Definitely. Like I said earlier, the universe, I feel like gave me a push to talk about, um, the affairs and infidelity with you ladies today. Um, it isn't something I've shared, uh, in my community or on my blog or out in the world. And, um, I had started writing about it, I think last week. And so it was interesting when, when you guys connected and, and asked, Hey, infidelity, what do you know about that? I'm like, Oh, I got a story for you. Ladies. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that story because yeah. we, when we think of um, content to share on the podcast, we try to, I mean, think outside of the, the stories that the three of us have mm-hmm. um, and think about some of the common things that people are dealing with as they're also dealing with the addiction itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, trust is a very common thing. And along with trust is sometimes infidelity. Yeah. So um, we thought it was an important just dynamic to share kind of what that the complexity that that can add to a relationship mm-hmm. and kind of how that can tie into the addiction and some of these things feed each other, you know? Yes. Um, but yeah. yeah, so we just love to kind of hear your story and, oh, and I'm yeah. sure other people can definitely relate. So. Oh uh, yeah. I, I feel bad that other people can relate mm-hmm. to it. I wouldn't wish what any of us have gone, any of the thousands and millions of us have gone through on anybody. Um, it is layers and layers and layers of shit mm-hmm. and shame and guilt and blame and, and embarrassment. Um, so the infidelity, I will tell you that there were two affairs while we were married that I didn't know about. And the first affair I didn't find out about until after I knew about the second one. Mm-hmm. So I'll backpedal a little bit to say that eventually we made it to a space where he was doing an outpatient program. It didn't work. Then we made it to a space where he was so deep in it. He had to go to detox through the ICU. So we went to an East ICU because the detox didn't go well. Then he went into a detox space where he then went into an inpatient program and that was local. And then you come home. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't work out because he didn't continue his recovery journey. And that's okay because you get all of this. I, ladies, everyone listening, you get all of the chances in the world that you have the courage to take period. I believe it. I always have the hope for it. 
but you got to show up and you got to do the work and you got to take it. And that wasn't his journey. And that is okay because he still gets all the chances. <laughs> so we probably were on our third round of an inpatient um, program. And I had, we ended up sending him down to Tampa, Florida. Um, previously, about six months earlier, he had fallen off a roof drunk at work and shattered his heel and needed reconstructive surgery. And yes, because he was on Suboxone, he could not have pain medications because it is a blocker. So that man made it through an entire reconstructive heel surgery and recovery with no pain medication. So no wonder why he was three handles of vodka in a day. So painfully, I have to let him go. Sorry, ladies. It's always very emotional. And off he goes to Florida. And he, much like many addicts, you find yourself in a space where you're connecting with people and you don't feel the shame and the blame, like you're some horrible human being who's failed. And most of the programs that we were dealing with were co-ed programs. And it was something that was always brought up that, hey, this dynamic can happen. In, in programs. And he and I, I thought, had an open conversation about it. Um, while he was there, he needed to come home. My daughter had an emergency surgery. She needed done. She was okay. It was tonsils. Um, she's five at this point. And he comes home and he is straight dry drunk and he's angry mm -hmm. and he's miserable. And I'm like, wow, we just pulled him too soon. Like, I don't know what's going on. The phone's ringing nonstop. He keeps talking to this woman and I'm like, Hey, hi, we're in the recovery room at a hospital. Like get off the phone. Like your kid is five and I'm morphine. Like no bueno. I think I had an inkling that he was having an affair with that woman at the time. I just couldn't handle any more information. And the phone call that came probably two years later with that was from that woman to tell me because it was part of her recovery program about what they had done. Um, and I was, I don't know, appalled. I mean, congratulations on your 12 steps. And I'm <laughs> so glad that you're working them. Um, but where do you find the space in yourself to be like, be what? Like, I don't need this. Like, right. what? Oh. Yeah. What about the part about like not doing harm? To right. Like, I think you misunderstood the assignment. Right. At that point, though, I was a little bit more into my own recovery. Um, still in my resentment, very much so. Um, definitely still angry. But I, I had the where for all to be like, this isn't a her thing. This is a him thing. And I thanked her for the information and, and I hung up the phone at that point. Um, maybe a couple months before that we were in, maybe it may have been six months or so, but we were in marriage counseling. And this is when I found out about the second one. He had been in and out of the house using, not using, we were marriage counseling. Um, I'm a little further into my recovery, but I still haven't quite hit that point where I was really doing my own work. I really was still doing his work. I was really still in a controlling space. Um, and I got a phone call from a woman and she said, I'm so sorry to bother you. And I, and I wouldn't have, but I'm, I'm so worried. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for him. 
And I know that you have a daughter together and how much she loves her. And so I'm assuming that you've seen him or you might know where he is and I wouldn't have called you and I'm sorry to bother you. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I think I missed who this is. Oh, this is so-and-so, so-and-so's girlfriend. And I'm like, uh, 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 uh. so it, it turns out he was living with her and me. And when he wasn't with me, he was with her and her children. Um, the, the devastating blows, I can't even begin to describe to you, <laughs> to you the, the sucker punching that had been happening all of this time. Um, he, we really were the, you know, the Pottery Barn catalog, L.L. Bean couple, like, so at somewhere in here, he had joined a motorcycle gang, um, a not good one. Um, we didn't own a motorcycle. He didn't ride a motorcycle. He had met the woman at the club and um, didn't tell her he was married. And she, he kept calling me his ex-wife. And, and that's how he had gotten this girlfriend. And I have to tell you, she was so sweet on the phone. <laughs> I think we really would have liked her. Um, she, she was equally as devastated, but she stayed with him um, for a very long time. And for years to come, she would continue to call me to check in on him. Um, interesting. Interesting, right? And then someone's yeah. like, you know, you can block those calls. And I'm like, I didn't. Can you show me? <laughs> um, so when you say that she stayed with him, does that mean that at that point you, that, is that when you ended things? That is it. That was it. There was that moment where I'm like, I can't take it anymore. I couldn't pivot fast enough to process through all of the things that were happening, all of the crazy things that were happening over the years, the psychiatrist, the Suboxone, the money, he got arrested for weapons and drug charges at some point. Because did anybody know this? Because I didn't until now. If you don't have your Suboxone card on you oh. and you are carrying, it's intent to sell. Fun. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, and if you have more than what you're supposed to have, it is a federal offense. Uh -huh. And his hobby happened to be uh, bladesmithing and he had some of the blades in the car with him and they were over the legal limit to be carrying. So now we've got drugs and weapons and now we're on a federal charge and now I'm calling. It just kept coming and I couldn't yeah. keep believing it. And I was like, mm -hmm. what is happening to our lives? Where's my white picket fence? I'm like, we worked so mm -hmm. hard. I loved him so much. And uh, it, he was so sick. He yeah. was so sick. Drugs and alcohol burn people through. I don't even, it, it breaks down the humanity of it, their souls, their, all of it. And there was always, and I would tell you when he still looks at me, there's that, that twinkle in his eye, that one little smile he always had just for me. Mm -hmm. And that will never go away. You know, I, I didn't leave him because I didn't love him. We had gotten to the point where they, it wasn't safe circumstances for my daughter and I anymore. Sleeping around, biker gangs, drug dealers knocking on our doors, looking for him because he owed them money. Um, when I was working, he wasn't feeding our daughter. You know, she's two, three, five, and she's making her own peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And it, it's embarrassing. It's horrible. Um, it, I wish it were different. I wish I'd worked on recovery much sooner than I did. 
Um, but by the time I was receiving that last phone call from that woman, again, second affair, but me realizing it for the first time, um, I just had to go. I didn't know what else to do. I was mm. beyond overwhelmed and beat down. The emotional exhaustion was beyond anything I'd ever, ever experienced. And yeah. I thought that the numbness would maybe eat me alive. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. You, yeah. you said <laughs> yeah, that's heavy. Like, <laughs> I uh, felt the tears. I had to. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. You you said something about, you know, you loved him so much so and much. the decision, it wasn't about love. And I think that mm-hmm. is what is just so sad and like devastating in these situations is that, you know, there's, I think sometimes people have the idea that you can love someone enough that you can make them better with your love. And and like, that's just not, not the case. And I think that's the hardest thing is like, you do love somebody so much. And when they are not getting better, you're kind of then out of, out of other options. And you're almost forced to kind of forces your hand. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to make your own choices, but you're not really left with good choices. It just sucks. It does. It just sucks. And at that time too, it was when my family started to realize they knew before, but they were really getting in on it. And he had gone to pick up my daughter from their house and a bottle of vodka rolled out onto the driveway and smashed. And he screamed at my daughter at the top of his lungs and and he would have never done this. And your mom's going to be so mad. And he blamed it all on me. Um, and that's an emotional abuse that he knows how her, how connected little children are to their parents that he's going to blame it on some, and my parents thought it was so strange. Like a, I'm not that big of a drinker. I would be, I would never be upset about alcohol being wasted or ruined or, and I, they just felt like it was such an overreaction to something that they hadn't seen him ever really overreact ever to such a little person who innocently is just opening up a truck door to jump in because it's time to go home. Um, that was a hard phone call to get from my, my parents who make the outside as pretty as possible and, and not really have these hard emotional conversations. Um, my mom really put me in a space where they pulled in the driveway and my daughter's getting out and she is devastated by what's happened and starts to tell me the story. And he interrupts her to tell me she's lying in his version of the story. And there I am. And I'm like, my mom's not lying and my dad's not lying. And I just got off the phone with them. Who do you stand there and pick? Do you pick the little girl whose daddy just scared her to death over a bottle of vodka? Or do you pick this man that you love and know is sick and is suffering and you just want to love him and you just want him to love you back. And it's like, you get put in these positions and they're heartbreaking. Yeah. They're heartbreaking. And so can you talk to, or speak on, so after you found out about one affair, you Mm -hmm. had stayed with him. I, I first found out, um, while we were in marriage counseling, um, it was his number two affair, but it was the first affair that I had, heard about. And I was like, I think it's time for really us to live apart. So he did go and live with her. 
Um, and we were still counseling and we hadn't filed for a divorce yet. And he would show up every day to see our daughter and he would be like, I love you. I want to come home to you. I want to be with you. And I'm like, well, then maybe you should get a job and not live with your girlfriend. Like, I don't mm-hmm. understand exactly what's happening here, but I wanted him so badly because I loved him so much. Um, and again, that could roll into a codependency conversation. Um, so the phone call came in, God, the time frame's a little off, but I think it was about six months after sort of four months after hearing the, okay. that initial, yeah. you know, Hey, have you seen my boyfriend? He's missing. And then to get the phone call, Hey, a few years back, I had an affair with um, your husband and I'm doing my steps and I wanted to call you and tell you and X, Y, and Z it. And I was like, why? It almost that, that phone call about the first affair and hearing about it second, I think definitely was that one where I was like, okay, we're going to file some divorce papers now. Cause I, how many more phone calls am I going to get about how many different more things? I can't do it anymore. I've turned myself inside out for this man. I have set it on fire, put the fire out. I've rebuilt the house. And then I set the house on fire myself and it's still not working. And it was really, and it's unfortunate too, to have to have someone else tell you that someone you love and they say loves you betrayed you. Mm-hmm. And specifically in that really sexual, intimate um, way, um, me personally, just how I grew up, that's sort of a sacred thing, you know, naked time and sex between people. And I hope that's okay to say. And, but I, for me and him there, we had a chemistry and it was deep and personal for me. And I'd never felt that way with someone before. So having an affair with another woman felt like he was sharing something like that piece of vulnerability of me or didn't care about how important our sexual relationship was um, and how deep and personal that was. And he was sharing that with other people. And it, it, the betrayal went so much deeper than this sort of like, don't sleep with other people, like, or don't do it. It, it, there was this deep connection all of a sudden that I thought was special and just between him and I and the, uh, us as a married couple and us, him and I. And that special thing, that, that, that last piece of special I thought we had, that intimate, beautiful, great sex he was sharing with other people. And I was like, I can't make a comeback from that. Yeah. Man, that's so, cause we, we've had another guest on and, and, um, I don't know, I, I don't know if I could say that he had an affair, but I mean, mm-hmm. he cheated on her. And I think what's so interesting is you had like affairs, like a double life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, like, how are your, how do you trust people now? <laughs> I, well, you know, that, that is such a great question. I started my recovery work. Um, I started my recovery work. I, showed up at my therapist's office shortly after that. And I was like, I get it now. I've heard you. I hear what you're saying. I've been doing his work, not my work. And now I'm, I'm actually ready to do my work. I, I now see it clearly. And I couldn't unsee it at that point. It was almost like hanging up the phone with that woman 
And it was like, all of a sudden the cloud lifted, like that last piece of me finally got lit on fire and in the, the veil went away and I couldn't unsee it and I couldn't go back and I didn't know how to go forward. And I sat in that therapist's office and I'm like, help, help me go forward because I have this beautiful little girl and a successful business and there's no other place to go. And I don't know how to go. I don't know how to go. And she's like, we're going to write it all down. We're going to start journaling. We're going to figure out where to start with you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start that recovery where, where you are at and how we can start you at your point. It was crazy. <laughs> so I started that. Yeah. And it's so interesting, this journaling thing. Yeah. I cannot do it. It is the worst <laughs> for me. Like, I think somebody's going to secretly find my journal and then tell yeah. everybody at school because, and then I'll be embarrassed. <laughs> However, my, my counselor told me to do it. Yeah. And so I have, I have a blog written. It's a, a bunch of pages it. long. Um, yeah. I've not ever read it, but I feel that after I wrote that down, mm-hmm. it was released from me. And so Yes. While I, I am the most yes. anti-journaling person mm-hmm. in the world, me too. it was really beneficial for me to just put it, Write type it, it out. And I've never read it again. And I don't know, Shannon, Jess, have you guys Did written? You guys I know that you guys like have um, been told to write. Yeah. I need to do more writing than I have. Yeah. And it is so strange to me because growing up, like I used to always journal and I would write stories. So like, but then whenever it comes to my therapist going, I want you to write about this, there's like this block. And so I've gone in phases where I'll do a little bit and then I like stop and you get out of the habit. And I know that I know it's like so frustrating because I'm like, I know this is beneficial and I know this is a part of the recovery. Like why, (laughs) why am I not doing it? It's interesting. I do. I, I talk with my clients about that. Cause I am someone also like you, Kate, who was like journaling, no way. Uh, and it was ending up being beneficial. But when I tell my clients, I'm like, sometimes you just have to keep it simple and open it up and, and be like, I had orange juice this morning. It was really sweet. And sometimes that even gets you to the next three sentences. And all of a sudden it's a floodgate happens. Um, and then it just starts going after that, but it's okay if you go for three weeks and don't write anything. And then one day you're like, Hey, I think I'm, I think I'm feeling stuck. I'm feeling, feeling anxious. I feel yucky on the inside. You can sit down and be like, I really loved that roast beef sandwich or the sunset's pretty, or I think we all make things a little harder. Or more. I do. I do. I shouldn't yeah. say we all, I do. I make things harder and more complicated than they need to. Oh, be. I for sure do. <laughs> on that. <laughs> Jesse, did you, did you, um, journal? I'm very similar to Shannon. So I used to journal all of the time. Mm -hmm. And at the very beginning um, of our recovery process, I journaled a lot. And um, I keep it and sometimes I read back on it, but I don't do it regularly anymore. Um, I like to do it. And I buy journals, like I'll go to Target and buy like journals that I love (laughs) all of the time intending to journal and then I don't. Um, yeah, but yeah, when I'm feeling really sad, I'll journal. That's like the first thing I'll do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't do it regularly anymore. I also don't like to find them and reread them. So unlike Katie who's afraid other people are going to read them. I don't like to reread them. You're like, go away. My therapist literally has told me like Shannon, write the things down. And then I want you to rip the pages part and (laughs) throw them away because she thinks that some of my block comes from 
like this perfectionist that, uh, I have, that I'm going to like, as I'm writing, I'm judging the way that I'm writing or I'm not yes. writing. We're always judging ourselves. And that then I'm going to go back and read it and be like, oh, why did I write this? Or why did I do it? So she mm-hmm. has recommended write your things write. out and then throw them away. Like, so we talk about perfectly imperfect action. And I feel like I love the idea of like just ripping it up mm-hmm. or maybe you could light it on fire. Cause that's, yeah. that's <laughs> just get rid of it. Cause then we don't have to worry whether it's perfect or not. Right. That's, yeah, exactly. So that's part of my recovery. I'm working on that. You mentioned some of your clients. Mm-hmm. What are you doing now? Um, I actually, yeah. So I counsel, um, I do, I call it care counseling and I help married or divorced women who love an addict start the detachment process. I found in my recovery, even divorced, detaching from the addiction and starting my own recovery, I was, I needed some handholding and I was a little lost on what that looked like. Um, I was working with my therapist and she was amazing. Um, she, she definitely isn't someone who necessarily is a pro at addiction pro at what she does. And I, I love her. So I went back to school and got my certificates and all of that good stuff. So I could start to help women who wanted to detach from their love and their addict and or alcoholic. It's an interesting process that you could love somebody and not be responsible for them and the things that, and choices that they are making. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the clients I work with. I also get a lot of phone calls, which is interesting as we talk about write it down. I feel like our story, their addiction came from the freedom or the space or the release people got from telling me their stories. I started receiving early on in my blog. I was Sour City Moms was my initial personal blog where I started putting out into the world. And I started getting a lot of people writing their stories to me um, or asking me a lot of questions and then telling me it felt good to just get it out and give it to somebody and never have to see it again. Um, So that's when I started counseling people, we moved into, it's our story, it's their addiction we're going to work it out. We're going to work it out. We're going to meet each other where we're at and we're going to figure out where we want to go next. Yeah. And there's no wrong answers. And, uh, so you currently are in a relationship. I am currently in a relationship and I don't know if I've learned how to trust as well as that was my next question. (laughs) Um, we have this great back and forth. He's wonderful. He's very patient with me. Um, he's very loving. I am constantly skeptical. Um, there are some wounds that I've been left with from my marriage to an addict alcoholic that it's just, I don't know if I, it's just, they're there. And sometimes the scab gets picked. Sometimes I'm hemorrhaging. Sometimes it's merely just, I need a bandaid. Um, but we work our communication together and it's hard sometimes for me to show up and realize I'm not doing a good job communicating. I'm overreacting. I'm underreacting. I'm not setting boundaries. And he's been such a good sport where I've been able to be like, okay, stop time out. Can we start this again? Rewind. I need to start this again. Um, so that I can 
not do it right. There's no right or wrong way, but so I can better express myself or set clear boundaries. Cause I don't know about everybody else, but setting clear boundaries is so hard. <laughs> yes. So hard. It's so hard. So him and I do a lot of communicating. Um, he actually is very good. He reads um, my blogs. Um, he's super supportive. Um, he had his own trauma happen um, in his life. His wife passed away unexpectedly. So there is some common sort of ground that we can share and a little bit of that sort of trauma language. Sure. And I would encourage and, that, Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, and there, I think you're giving hope that I think sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it's so hard to see beyond and you'll think like, I'm never going to be with anybody else or like, yes. how can I ever love someone or trust somebody again? Yes. So I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, shared that on here that yeah. you've gone through so much trauma and, you know, you talked about like you loved this person and there's still that, that connection and the twinkle in his eye that happens, mm-hmm. but you've still been able to move on and you know, find another person that you care about and can be in a relationship with. So I think that gives a lot of hope to people. I'm, I hope it does. I hope it does. I have to say, I remember being in that really dark, dark, low, low moment, begging for death, wishing for a different life. And I never in my wildest dreams would have ever thought that um, I would be where I am now. And I'm proud of myself for sticking with the recovery work and continuing to reach out and try to be authentic and, and share my story. And I am very blessed that his family and my family are so supportive of me sharing my story um, out publicly like this. They are, it's, it's been a journey. I hope people do have hope. You have hope. It's out there. We can yeah. find it again. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can do this, all of it. Whether we stay in our marriage and we do that work or we work on ourselves and we go out and we find our, our love. Cause I know you ladies are doing a lot of great work. Thank you. Trying. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you're doing it. You're doing it. Um, yeah. so I have a question. Like how are things now? Like what is, I guess. So with your ex. Yes. Um, so what was that separation process? Like, how did you oh, yeah. navigate that with a child? How do you kind of work through that today I don't know what his recovery is like if at all like kind of how do you like post-marriage with a child kind of figure all of that out well knowing that they have some dangerous uh hobbies yeah some things that are what how do you, yeah how do we navigate that, that? <laughs> ah, I'm a mess it gets me oh it gets yeah. messy it did get messy um so filing for divorce and, and even affording a divorce um, was its own challenge. And I will say that I am very motivated in my lifetime to start a nonprofit that provides finances for women like me who don't qualify for state aid or help because we are successful in our jobs. A lot of us have been decimated um, financially and aren't able to go out and get the help we need from lawyers for divorces, um, for the divorce paperwork, for daycare, for health insurance, blah, blah, blah. But for me, navigating the divorce was really difficult. I had to really get humble and small and beg some lawyer 
to write up some rinky dink something um, and crossed my fingers as I stood in front of a judge that they would actually grant me this divorce. Um, he did not have a lawyer. Um, I took a lot of wheeling and dealing to get him to sign the paperwork and agree to let go of custody of um, our daughter. Um, again, still very hard to have to ask someone to give up their parental rights to their children. Um, I never thought I would be standing in a space having to ask him for her own good to let her go. And he did. So it was a very challenging time. It took a lot of precise actions. It took manipulation on my own part. Um, not lies, but manipulation. And that didn't feel good to get that divorce to go through. Um, he was actively using and drinking, so he didn't get to see her a lot. Uh, the court had to assign him uh, supervised visits. He had to be drug tested and breathalyzed before he could spend time with her. Um, written in our divorce, I put in that I was the one who got to choose who supervised the visits. Um, so initially when we were first divorced, his mom was living near us and she was so gracious to supervise um, those visits with the two of them, um, which was wonderful. Um, a few years into it, a lot was taken away because he disappeared. Um, we didn't know where he had gone for years. And um, he actually resurfaced um, this past December. And we hadn't seen or heard from him. Um, so she got to see her dad, who um, at the time was sober, uh, the day after Christmas for the first time in years. So I hadn't really had to navigate much after the supervised visits. Um, with him because he, he was gone. He was gone. <laughs> yeah. So she just celebrated a birthday. Um, and she was born the day before her father. Happy birthday, babe. I got you a baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, he's currently living in sober living and we are very proud, very, very proud of him and thrilled for him and, um, supportive of that. We, we do not hear from him a lot but I made sure to reach out and um, I, we got to spend because of COVID and what's happening in the world. Um, supervised folks you can pay to do supervised visits aren't readily available. So um, it makes it a little more difficult. So I put my big girl pants on and they totally give me a wedgie. And we, the three of us spent the day at the beach together and we had a great time. Um, and that has been new and interesting to navigate that piece. Um, wow. Yeah. Supervising those visits. So this is like the second or third visit I'd supervised um, for the two of them. Um, how do you make that not confusing for your kid? No, mommy and mommy and daddy aren't getting back together. Yeah. How do you not tell your kid that your dad, need, your dad needs to have supervised visits? Um, yeah. It's been hard to navigate the information. I don't, I don't know about all you, you ladies, how much your kids know or they don't know or what they've witnessed or what they haven't witnessed. Um, that's this whole other piece that breaks my heart for all of us mamas um, out there. My, my kiddo saw too much, knew too much, um, laid witness to way too much. Um, she started her own therapy when she was five with a specialist who dealt with um, 
children of addict alcoholic parents and it's been a lifesaver for both of us her and i um so we have a very open honest age appropriate conversation about her father and how i best explain her dad to her is his brain is sick and he's a good man who makes some poor choices and so he needs a little extra help um and she's grown up knowing it and believing it and how much he loves her and if he could be the daddy she wanted, he would, but he's sick. Yeah. So I don't know if that, that may have gone off topic, but I hope that answered a little bit. (laughs) Well, it went in a good direction. All right. Good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think Angie, we covered a butt ton today. (laughs) It's hard to believe that like we've been on the call for as long as we have. What's crazy is there'd be so much more we could discuss. So, mm-hmm. so I just much more. really appreciate your time and willingness to share these hard things. And I know you're talking about the affair and infidelity kind of for the first time. This is mm-hmm. so um, really appreciate mm-hmm. and feel like honored that you felt safe to, to do that in, in this space with us. Yeah. Thanks for making safe spaces for us guys are great. Well, is there anything that, um, you have some exciting, something coming up very soon. So we have some great stuff coming up. I have a live event happening, um, in September. It's the 18th. We've got some wonderful speakers like Kate coming to talk to us about trust. Some people coming to talk to us about their intuition and how we need to trust it. A bunch of awesome, more speakers. It's soul recovery, self-discovery, turning our traumas into triumph and registration opens August 10th. Um, and everyone can go to our story there addiction.com and you can find the information there to register, uh, or sign up for the newsletter and you'll get stuff in your inbox. Of course we don't spam anybody cause we, that would be awful. Um, but yeah, soul recovery. That's awesome. Sounds really so exciting. Of, yes. So exciting. Yes. And it's a virtual event, right? It's it is not a virtual event. It's not live in person. It is a virtual online free event. And you just, we will record it too. So if someone misses some of it, we can deliver that to your inbox as well. So very excited. Well, amazing. Well, Angie, again, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about this. Um, We're so excited. We'll definitely link in show notes how people can get a hold of you. Thank you. um, You know, all of your social everything. Thank you. And I am excited (laughs) to kind of keep connecting with you and, uh, you know, kind of seeing how this, um, you know, if you do open up more on your accounts about the affairs, like kind of what that's going to open up for you, because unfortunately I think a lot of people were and are in that boat. So, yeah. Thank you ladies for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, all right, everyone. Well, thank you for joining us again, as always, uh, rate review, subscribe and keep coming back. Like this episode? We hope so. If you want more from the women of boy problems podcast, please join us at Patreon at recovering Two. We will be releasing exclusive content and we also have an option where you can connect with us every month for 30 minutes, one-on-one. We hope you join us there. Back to the episode. Thanks for spending time with us. We hope this story has helped you better navigate yours. Don't forget to subscribe so we can meet you here next time. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the love by rating or reviewing. Need more support? 
Join our online community by visiting us at boyproblemspod.com. Whatever you do, keep coming back. We're not licensed professionals. We're here to share our lived experience. So take what resonates and leave what doesn't.